I was more scared of like uh you know like a serial killer when I was a kid which I guess I yeah. still technically am than like supernatural <laughs> stuff And welcome to the episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And we have now entered into one of the best months of the year for film fans, and that is October. October is a time to watch movies full of horror, suspense, and terror. Or in some cases, movies full of horror and comedy. This month, we'll be talking about the movies that we feel fit within the genre of horror comedies. Uh, instead of doing an intro episode like we usually do for each month, we're now going to start just starting or we're now going to start each month with just a movie from the genre. The multi-movie episodes we were doing at the beginning of the month were a little little uh, taxing, I guess you could say, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm back to work full time. So like six movies a week is not uh, it's not feasible anymore. The hard part was it was coming after the director episode, which we were also watching multiple movies for. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're making that switch up. But hopefully we can we can now kind of like focus more on individual movies and kind of the, the the tropes and the stories that pop up within them. And um, for our first movie in October 2020, we are talking about Brian De Palma's The Phantom of Paradise, uh, which we'll be discussing today. So spoilers ahead. Feel free to watch the film or rewatch the film before you dive into this episode. You can rent it on Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you watch your movies. Uh, but first, as I said, Thomas, uh, it's October. Are your movie watching habits changing this month? Oh, absolutely. I Anytime I sit down, I'm like, I want to watch something spooky, like... Yeah. 100% that is what I and if I'm if I'm just sitting down to watch an episode of a television show I'm looking for something like Twilight Zone mm-hmm. if I'm watching a movie I I want to watch something scary and and last year I really challenged myself to like watch new yeah. horror movies because I found myself like every year like oh The Shining Silence of the Lambs yeah like all the all the all the ones that I really love and so last year I got a Shutter subscription. I watched like only horror movies I'd never seen before, and I've, I've, I mean, we're not even in October yet, technically, right now. But as um, we're recording, yeah, yeah. But uh, but I've already started like within yeah. the past week, um, yeah. started mostly consuming horror stuff, and it's been great so far, and and all kind of new stuff, especially with the the horror boom, you know, the, like the Blumhouse boom in in yeah. filmmaking in the past like five years. That's really started to make its way to the streaming sites in a way that, yeah. that a lot of the streaming companies are making a lot of original horror content as well. So there's, there's so much more to consume these days than there has been in the past. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm no longer restrained by the horror movies that I have on DVD yeah, yeah, yeah. to, to be the ones that I watch. Yeah. The, tell like television's becoming more, like you're, you're seeing more horror driven shows and not just Blumhouse, but and weirdly like the resurgence of Stephen King. Yeah. Like, yeah, with, absolutely. With, with it, with, uh, even, uh, or even, uh, Dr. Sleep, but with shows like I didn't watch it, but like Castle Rock. And I, is he doing, is King doing another show too coming up at some point? They're doing a stand, a stand mini, mini series yeah, yeah, yeah. is coming up. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was stand. And I mean, years, years ago they did the, uh, like the 11, uh, was it 11, 26, 63 or something or 11, mm-hmm. 27, 63. Um, which is not really hard. Um, but yeah, you're seeing like the resurgence, resurgence or, or boom of certain horror icons or, or yeah. figures. Speaking of resurgence, I watched a, I watched a indie 
horror film out of Sundance um, last night called The Lodge. That's really good. But it was a um, it was a co-production with Hammer Films. I didn't even realize. Wow. Hammer was like still around. It must have been one of those things where someone has, you know, kind of kind of like UA, um, you know, someone yeah, Art, uninvolved yeah. has just kind of made made the effort to bring it back. But uh, yeah, you know, Hammer, a very classic British horror production company from the 60s. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, you, it, it, horror has been around for, for decades, but today we're going to start talking about horror comedies. And so like, what do you think of when you think of horror comedies? I mean, I think, and, and we brought this up recently when we were talking about sequels, but I, the horror comedy that comes to mind for me is Young Frankenstein. Okay. Because I think so much of horror is self-referential anyway. Like even, yeah. you know, serious horror is always referencing uh, and we'll we'll talk about this in this episode for sure, but always referencing like the core gothic literature influences. You've got Poe, you've got Shelley, you've got uh, Stoker, yeah, and and you know it, so much of that has impacted so much of this genre. I think more than any other genre, you can horror is just constantly building on itself, and so it that it really lends itself to comedy because the tropes within horror are like so well loved and the stories within horror are so well loved that it's really easy to kind of parody or pay homage in yeah. a fun way and people tend to enjoy it. So yeah, when you get something like young Frankenstein, you and I were talking about when we revisited the classic universal Frankenstein movies, we were like, Oh wow, this feels because we've seen young Frankenstein first. It feels yeah. so much like young Frankenstein to go back and watch these movies. But yeah, that that's the first thing I think of. It, I think that was probably my introduction to horror comedies as a kid, and and something that that really captures the look and feel, and and is made by people who obviously have a great love for the genre, but who just want to have some fun with it. Yeah, there's something that that's a key point too, right there, is that I I, I watched um I watched the original Fright Night recently for the first time, and that consider that a horror comedy. And in terms of like saying the love for the genre, when watching that, you can tell you can tell they weren't making fun of like the 1950s, 60s like horror films, like the Vincent Price, like Roger Corman, like Poe adaptations. It was definitely like this love letter to those horror films, mm-hmm. with just a little bit of a, co- a comedic uh, bent to it, mm-hmm. and. I think that's a key thing. And even, even with, I think fan of paradise today, like there is, I think a, a love for those earlier works is what it is. And it's the, you're not making fun of it. You're just like, you're in on the joke. Like if that makes sense, like, mm-hmm. um, and you're saying to how, how they can, they're very similar in terms of comedy and, and horror, but it's like comedy you have like for a joke, you have a setup and punchline and in horror for scare you had the like suspense and the anticipation and then the release of that suspense and anticipation with the scare so like it's a very similar kind of just like structure to like the the smallest little thing of a of a horror comedy story yeah and and there is like there's a meta-ness like you said self-referential like there's a meta-ness to a lot a lot of these horror comedies and the other thing too is just like over the top is what mm-hmm. you'll see in some some horror comedies is this like you can take it like if you take a horror film and just play it straight it can be terrifying but if you like up the ante either in like the gore or the way it's shot like i know we've met, we've talked about sam Raimi before when you look like evil dead 2 where like the gore becomes like 
huge, which adds to either the joke. It depends on how you view it. The joke, or adds the comedy, or adds the horror of that uh, of the story. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think a lot of horror comedies, and and I think later in the genre for sure, but um, a lot of horror comedies are able to balance both very well, yeah. which is kind of rare for genre and and, and for parody. Um, is you know that you're I don't I can't think of any you know if you're doing a, a parody of a drama it's yeah. kind of rare that you're able to like really nail drama within it but you've got a movie you know like Cabin in the Woods that is able to be a complete satire of the genre but also be a horror movie at the same time yeah and, and like I said we'll talk about that later in the month with like Scream for example where like Scream has weirdly become considered more of a horror film and the comedy aspect of it has kind of like gone away because we're, we're we're away from like that period of filmmaking um i was having a discussion with someone recently oh well, scream's just a horror film it's like no it like it was very meta when it came out and the issue is is that horror has like changed around it and scream yeah. is like ended up becoming the thing it was making fun of in a way well, and then um, and then you know someone went and did a parody of Scream on top of it, which which you can't yeah. do. Scary movie, you can't parody a parody, <laughs> but they did it anyway. Again, like you said, it's the balance of it that's the key. So some th- some things might be a little bit more uh, leaning towards the horror aspect. Some might lean more towards the comedy aspect. Like, I mean, Ghostbusters, I would I would put into the horror comedy category, but it is definitely leans he- more heavy into comedy but that doesn't mean when i was six years old i wasn't terrified of the librarian ghost yeah that's true <laughs> there's a there's another uh gene wilder less well-known horror comedy that he did called haunted honeymoon yeah that I, I saw watched that long cable that i saw very young and um scared the hell out of me <laughs> <laughs> which feels so weird now to think about yeah yeah but i mean that one that one was more i was i was more scared of like uh, you know like a serial killer when i was a kid which i guess i still yeah. technically am from like supernatural <laughs> stuff but yeah that yeah. In, in that movie it's like there's there's like a supernatural element that they think there's this family curse but you yeah. as the audience you know that it's it's someone going around murdering everyone and that just yeah. like the the idea of this big scary house and someone going around murdering everyone was it got me i was probably like seven or eight the first time i saw that movie i was like oof. well hot honeymoon even just again going off the whole like idea of like love for the genre or love for something like that I mean that's a that's feels like a love letter to like the old radio shows of mm-hmm. like the 1930s and 40s. Yeah, it, it's it, it's a it's you say it's a parody, but like you can tell like they love this specific like style of storytelling. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's. I mean, we'll 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 cover more of that, but let's jump into Fan of the Paradise because we'll we'll bring up some of these things in this discussion. Uh, so the Fan of the Paradise, for those who don't know, written directed by Brian De Palma, this rock opera hybrid a fan of the opera and faust the legend of selling your soul to the devil uh this up-and-coming singer songwriter uh winslow leach finds himself double-crossed by this shady music producer named swan played by paul williams uh and swan steals both leach's music and the girl he wants to sing his music which is phoenix played by jessica harper of uh fame of or Famed for her role in Suspiria. I think this is her first, uh, her, her debut. And uh, Swan is opening his new rock palace, his own Xanadu, uh, The Paradise. And after Swan sends Leech to prison uh, for trespassing on his property, Leech uh, 
breaks out and ends up having a freak accident, which leaves him disfigured and kind of loses his voice. And so Leech dons the mantle of the Phantom and seeks revenge on both Swan and the Paradise, which makes him the Phantom of the Paradise. So, Thomas, you, mm-hmm. you had never seen this film before this before this watch. I had never. I, I all I knew, I knew the image of his like bird. Yeah, costume. his bird. Yeah, his his mask. And that was his, it. That was all that I knew. I'm I'm a huge Paul Williams fan. Didn't even know Paul Williams was in this. Like, yeah. didn't know he wrote the music for this. Anything. So, what were your thoughts? It's wild, man. It's wild. It's it's really fun. I really loved it. I um I'm a huge fan of Tommy. And it yeah. struck me as a very similar energy of that, like, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. Just, like, throw everything at a wall and see what sticks, like, the editing style. Yeah. And the music and everything is just complete overload. Um, I, I think I texted you. I watched it very late one night recently, and I woke up the next day, and it, was, it felt like a fever dream. Like, I was <laughs> like, did I, did I even watch that? Did that exist? Yeah, there's parts, especially if you're getting towards the end, like the, uh, like the... The oh god, like the undead, the three guys who are like mm-hmm. cutting people's like heads. Yeah, off. yeah, yeah. And you're yeah. There's a sequence where they have axe guitars and they're yes. go- going out and cutting limbs off the audience. And you're you're not sure. They never really tell you like you come if to the- see that it's part of the show, but you're not really sure at first if they're actually like murdering people in the audience or not. <laughs> so it's so odd. But uh, but yeah, like it's it, I I was kind of floored by this movie the first time I watched it. This is my second time viewing it, and it's it's the 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 kind of what's happened with it is that like it's in the vein of Rocky Horror Picture Show. It gets compared to that a lot, and usually if you're like a snob like me, you'll probably say you think it's better than Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um there's I don't, there's some some quality to it that just is not present like i think i almost like rocky horror is like i guess because it, it's become so mainstream in a way for a cult movie is why some people back away from it and maybe that's why i do um mm. i enjoy I mean, it i do I, but- I see i see the because rocky horror is wall-to-wall music which is a little yeah. easier to to digest or it, it's catchier it gets stuck in your head um and Phantom of the Paradise is kind of the anti-Rocky Horror, even though they are very similar. It's very yeah. anti-like glam rock, and like there is the the there is a a character within it who is Beef. glam rock yeah. Beef, yeah. who is like very probably the most broadly parody. Is not a lot of this movie is like broad parody, but Beef is yeah. like Beef is yeah. played up for like very broad comedy. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is that it, it is it is a very it's a it is a parody or a satire, uh, you might say, of like the music industry of the time, mm-hmm. of like how you can take someone and you're ruining the the arts of the of the musicianship or the the, the lyrics, and it's about like the the show the performance. Yeah. It's, it is the it's the cutting the heads off in the in the audience that's memorable. Well, I love I love in this that nobody. So yeah, so as you're saying. The movie opens with um, with Leech playing his his music, kind of auditioning for Swan, and, and Swan yeah. saying, "I want that music, but I yeah. don't want Leech." That guy, and he, yeah. he wants it for his group, the Juicy Fruits, which which are like a, a doo wop group. Yeah, and it's just like no one ever answers. Like, why does Swan want this rock opera about 
Faust. Like, yeah, <laughs> if he's gonna change it so much, like you know, he takes yeah. it and he, and he warps it into like a beach. Uh, he warps it into a doo-wop and then he warps it into like a Beach Boys kind yeah. of parody, and then turns it into to hair metal or glam yeah. rock. And um, it's no, yeah, it's it's. <laughs> It's never entirely clear, like why he he wants he that wants piece it. when it's very obviously like written to be this like very deep piano ballad. But I don't know. I mean, I mean, well, the thing is that you end up finding out that there's a connection to the Faust Faust legend with yeah. with Swan. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I, it, but I think it's just it's getting at the idea, and I guess I mean, I'll I'll, I'll jump into this now in terms of like how it got made. Uh, the 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 idea behind it. Uh, Brian De Palms, they came up with the idea of the film when he was standing in an elevator and they were playing Beatles music, but it was done in a Muzak style, like mm. elevator music Beatles. He was just like, how can you take something so beautiful and then turn it into like elevator music because it's digestible for someone? And so he that mm. prompted him to come up with the idea of like, hey, let me make a, a satire of the entertainment industry and, and of the music industry with that basic idea and so i guess that's what he's trying to get at there is the like oh like at the core of this song at the core of leech's uh talent there's an artist but it's not about in the industry it's not about the artistry it's about the how much can we sell what really like pumps them pumps the audience up and yeah i again you like you don't uh, you don't know why uh swan is so uh interested in that music like could he just get another songwriter to do something else to make it like based around what he wants i don't know um maybe that's a a, like a a story question we can't answer um (laughs) but yeah so like the the the, and and then so de palma also like we talk about the kind of early gothic stories the references so like basically the 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 family of the paradise is like a it's a hodgepodge of family opera Faust, picture of Dorian Gray as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, there's Frankenstein fr- imagery. Frankenstein, the, the, yeah. the whole uh, yeah, that whole sequence of chopping up the audiences yeah. for a Frankenstein sequence, which makes no sense if the rock opera that they're putting on is Faust, which I, I think goes to show how Swan doesn't understand, you know, the yeah. the source material. Like he's he's taken Faust and he's turned it into Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, and then even a cask of Amontillado, uh, Poe's mm-hmm. short story. You see a little bit of that, like when they're when they're basically like sealing the Phantom or Winslow up in the like recording studio. Well, and I do think you know if we're throwing it something into the Gothic grab bag, there, I think there's definitely Dracula imagery too, like the you know the giant bed and, and the orgies that Swan has with these all That's these fair. like women is is very reminiscent of. of kind of dracula's brood of women that he keeps around as well that's true i mean and even kind of the 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 manner that he stays at feels that's the other thing too when like when you see like where swan stays at again a connection to rocky horror it feels like oh this is like uh frankenfurter's like mansion is what it feels mm-hmm. like the way like the way it is it's this very like ominous and like uh looming tower in a way mm-hmm. uh and uh yeah i mean it, it's it's it the palma definitely understands like the he understands the source material i guess you could say and at least at least in terms of the visuals of it and like how to use those visuals to tell a somewhat new at least unique story 
Yeah, definitely unique. I mean, we, we've seen Phantom of the Opera type stories before. And it, I mean, it's like, really, Phantom of the Opera story is is a, is a Star is Born story gone wrong. Like, it's a Star is Born as a horror film is what is what fan of the opera like story kind of is is that the phantom is the the falling star and then you have this usually younger female talent that's on the rise there you go i didn't, I didn't think i'd make that connection today well and paul williams wrote the music for the barbara streisand uh star is born oh so did he okay there wow yeah. there, we, there we go you really think she's that good she's too good for you i'll hire her anyway she could be my voice now. Could she? Really? Yes. Then let's get down to business. I want you to stop terrorizing the paradise and rewrite your cantata. For Phoenix. That way we both get what we want. You get your cantata sung by the right singer, and I open paradise. You write my cantata. We have no time to waste. Just one week. You must lock yourself up in here and do nothing but write. Isn't it exciting? I could write for her. Yes, it will be performed here live, and Phoenix will star. My cantata. Get fantastic musicians. The hall has great acoustics. It could. I don't sound. trust you, Swan. You've ruined my music before. Forget about the juicy fruits. Who wants nostalgia anymore? I don't trust you. You don't have to. Here's a contract. Everything I've said and more is in it. So, favorite scenes. I really love just for the sheer manic energy of it. The sequence in which Leech breaks out of of Sing Sing. And, and gets his head squashed in the record uh, in the record presser. Um, there's just that that one shot. It's like fisheye lens, like like handheld, just following him as he charges down the hall into Swan's office. And then you just see him run into the room. And then you see him run out a minute later, like chasing the security guards out. It's they were amazing. chasing him. He's running yeah. through the like the plexiglass, like <laughs> like windows. And it's so wild and manic and just ends with him like dragging himself into the river. It's incredible. Yeah. It's well, it's like, cause it's like, it starts off with like, he's in Sing Sing. They've like cut off all of his hair. They've taken out his teeth. And so it's now like chrome teeth. Mm -hmm. And he's just like hovering in the background of the shot. Like he's, he's like, it and when he's in Sing Sing, it looks like he's gone insane. Mm -hmm. And what happens is like, he hears the juicy fruit singing his song and it's just like, Oh hell no. And that's what just like, just hops in, I love, I love the scene. <laughs> he just hops in a box. They're making board. They're, they're on like a assembly line making board games. Yeah. And he just like jumps in a box and shoots down the assembly line. And then he's just out of there. And he's just like, and then, and then it opens up and he's like getting out of the box in New York city, like yeah. <laughs> nothing in between. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, I mean, the, the movie itself has this like, especially in those moments with with uh, Winslow, this like manic, at least cutting style. I know that's present. There's the one scene that I, the shot that I love is that ominous shot of like the Phantom running through the hallways mm -hmm. uh, towards the end, where it's like it's behind him and it's just so fast, but also it's just so unnerving in a way. But yeah, the that Winslow stuff when he's just like going like just breaking into everything um one of my favorite scenes uh i love phoenix's first song special to me mm -hmm. where it's like when, when it's the, her audition her audition piece basically where it, like it feels weirdly it's that one's so weird because it almost feels like a music video as well because she's looking to camera a lot in that like scene mm -hmm. which was like it's 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 interesting 
I don't know. That's one of the songs I play over a lot after watching that film for some reason. Phoenix. Swan here. I want you to answer a question for me. Yes? What would you give me to sing? Anything you wanted. Anything? Would you give me your voice? Try me. songs um probably my favorite scene in the movie is when he teams up with swan and he after he's lost his voice in the accident and they have a sequence where swan kind of gives him his own recording studio and figures out how to give him a voice back and i love that and and you it's it's a detail that you wouldn't necessarily know but once swan gives him his voice back it's actually paul williams voice yeah it is Uh, and so Swan kind of like finds, even though he, it's it's got this even deeper meaning to it, where Swan is like been like, yeah, okay, I won't steal your music anymore. I'll let you write your own music, and I'll give you a voice, but it's gonna be my voice. Like it's gonna yeah. sound like me. Um, it, but it's really great. But that's that song is is beautiful. That's a really really beautiful song from Paul Williams. Yeah, and and, and Swan like Paul Williams is playing like this, why? Because that's that's one of my favorite scenes too. Because he's playing this like Phil Spector type character of like how he's changing so much in the uh, the voice of the singer or like adding all these different effects to it was like kind of what was happening in the music world at that point with Phil Spector. It's a it's a nice detail of how it captures like how to how people were putting records together at that time, mm-hmm. and it's also kind of sati- again satirical in a way of just how like even today of like auto tune. How like oh we can we can change someone's voice who's always off pitch to being always on pitch in the in the recording studio. So it's the idea of like you don't know is this the real thing or is this a artificial song or voice we're hearing. Paul Williams, how do you feel about him in this movie? I think he's great. I I, I loved him in this. It's also very much like not him. Like I, I kind of loved how different this was. I, 
it seems like he did this movie because Swan is the antithesis to like the type of music that that Paul Williams was making. Yeah, like Paul Williams was was very much of like the singer songwriter. He worked with a lot of of people who are known for like doing acoustic stuff and and doing the more stripped down uh, works, including Barbara Streisand and and also Kermit the Frog. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's really fun to see him play this character because that's that's not him. Like you said, it's it's very much a Phil Spector yeah. type of character, which is like not the kind of artist that Paul Williams was. Yeah, it, it's it's wild. He's it's a very wild performance, and and also, I mean, his physicality plays into it because Paul Williams is a very small man, yeah. and he they they do all this stuff where he like hides himself and he's never really seen in person and nobody really yeah. knows what he looks like and so when, when you kind of expect him to be this kind of physically intimidating person and he's and he's not but then he's he's got this demeanor that's very like calm and collected yeah and it's all very sinister yeah i mean when he goes back it's, it's when he goes back and rewatches the the contracts that he's because basically mm-hmm. he signs people to i mean he is this like devil character even though he's not the devil that's the like it's a weird yeah, he's like a he's a he's a henchman servant of the, of the yeah, devil yeah it's like he's a salesman for the devil is what paul yeah. williams is his movie is that he's like i gotta make my quota for this month guys gotta go get some souls uh lifetime contracts and but when when he goes back and like replays the the video you hear like the the raspy like voice like i mean is that you think that's like because he's aging yeah the devil tells him he, he, he'll age on tape so that's why there's like no photos of him no videos yeah. of him uh because he doesn't age in person that's that's yeah that's all the the dorian yeah. gray of it i mean it really is he it, he de palma just took from every like gothic horror piece <laughs> ever written and incorporated it all here and put it in a 70s like uh perspective well and speaking of homage something we also we haven't talked about is the movie opens with a uh monologue from from rod sterling of the twilight zone because i forgot about that opening of just like how it like sets up yeah the, the movie i mean there's a lot of homages in this i mean you have another thing i wanted to bring up that i like is his his split screen touch of evil yeah. scene set to the set to beach boys esque music <laughs> yeah how just the the it's like okay i want to do touch of evil but we're going to do it in a theater how do we make it more expo- exciting split screen it which is a big de palma like uh uh i won't say trope uh but just technique that he uses throughout his career well and syncing the syncing the ticking of the clock up to the beat of the song is is perfect carburetors man that's what life is all about. Beef's death. Beef. Beef is such a like. Uh, I mean, I don't know how to explain that character because it's just so off the wall. I mean, yeah. the move, the movie itself is off the wall, but beef, like being like struck by a lightning, a neon lightning, like bolt basically. And then just like, I guess burns up on stage is what it is. Yeah. 
Like it's so like you just see he just, he's electrocuted and then just like the everything's on fire, and mm-hmm. then it cuts to, to Winslow Leach just like laughing with his like like chrome teeth. It's 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 like horrifying, but also again horrifying, but also comedic in a way. Like it mm-hmm. it it's it plays on the the horror comedy aspect of the movie. Let's see. Also, and you also have that psycho. His De Palma usually lo- De Palma loves doing shower scenes in his movies. Mm-hmm. I'll ask this too in like the favorite scene stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts on Brian De Palma? I I don't get him. I, I told you this. <laughs> I. And it's not not in a negative way, but like so many, pretty much any other auteur of, I mean, he's part of the film Bratz. Um, yeah. Uh, we're very close with Scorsese. You know, they they like to kind of trade back and forth, which speaking of the, the character who um, is Swan's kind of second in command is mm-hmm. in my favorite scene in Mean Streets. He's the guy that says, I'm a mook. What's a mook? <laughs> oh, you're right. Um, yeah. But yeah, and, one, and Scorsese kind of famously got De Niro from De Palma. Yeah. But I feel like everyone out of the film brat generation, I can put a finger on like what they what they wanted to say, like what they wanted yeah. their career to be and what they wanted to say with their career. And De Palma, I just can't really put a finger maybe because and, and I don't want to say he like compromised his vision, but of, of everyone at the start, he was the wildest. He was the most pure, unadulterated, mm-hmm. like, obviously, from this film, like, just pure style, mm-hmm. like, not going to hold anything back, unfiltered, and became probably one of the most, like, box office, for a while there, had a just a really solid mainstream box office run, yeah. and then kind of crashed after that and hasn't really done anything of note for a long while. And I just don't know what he wants to say with any of that. I mean, I don't know what he, I, I also don't understand what he wants to say, but I, I think with him, I think style is because so, I always said that like Coppola was like all about themes is what it was, is what it felt like. And that stuff will change over time. Uh, Spielberg was always kind of about like entertainment, like entertainment value. And yeah. he and, Magic, and Spielberg and, and Spielberg tended to not I won't say compromise but evolve with the times in that way of mm. how how we can entertain people. Scorsese always felt like the more personal filmmaker mm-hmm. in terms of like what he's experiencing in that moment or has experienced before. So that never fully changes. It evolves. De Palma always felt like he was into the style with everything. I'm not saying he was style over substance. I don't think that, but I think De Palma always had a very unique style that separated him from all those filmmakers. And that was kind of the, the core of his films for a while. Mm. And style is another thing that always like themes with Coppola. Why I think those two are the ones that are less involved nowadays is those the ones that can go out with the times. And if you're not evolving, like if you're not evolving your style, then you're going to be of this specific era. And I do feel that in the seventies into the eighties, that's like De Palma's peak, even though he does like mission impossible later. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I think 
because De Palma was so ahead of his time in the seventies with kind of his, his fast, like the, the MTV style before yeah, MTV was, very was much even so. a thing and the yeah. neon lights and the colors, he was very eighties before eighties cinema came about. And then it, he was like, boom, like you've got body double and it is like pure eighties. Yeah. And then and sleazy. That's the thing. A lot yeah. of his films they have they have this like seedy, sleazy nature to them. Yeah, I, I, I fully appreciate him. I just I don't feel like I can to I, I don't feel like I can stand him. And I know I know there are people who do. Uh, I think Anna, who's a friend of the podcast, is yeah. very much a, a De Palma stan. And maybe that's the allure of him is that he's he's harder to, to grasp. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's difficult for me to really get a feel for him for his like yeah. identity as a, as an auteur. That's fair. I mean, it, it's I, I haven't watched. I've seen Sisters, which is what came out right before Fan Paradise, mm-hmm. and, and like he has like weird stuff. Um, I haven't seen anything pre that, which is like his early like New York like low budget, the ones with De Niro in it. Um, but Fan of the Paradise is kind of his first. I won't say it's his biggest film at this point it's almost like his coming out party in a way yeah yeah it's definitely one i, I mean it's and enough I've, I've talked about this before i love these these early movies from all tours because it feels unfiltered and in a lot of early all tour movies are just like this is my brain yeah here you go like and, and you know i think mean streets for scorsese while it's not his first movie that that kind of stands as just like this is everything that I want to do, even though it's it, it comes out raw and kind of not not perfect. Um, it's still always a really interesting look. And so that's why I do I do feel better about what I, I do feel like I have a better grip on De Palma after seeing this because it does yeah, feel yeah. like and, and and there's I mean, there are all these these themes, especially like um, uh, surveillance, like there's, you know, something like. Yeah. um you know, some a lot of his later movies would kind of deal with being watched and and being yeah, a voyeur. That's what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and a lot of this movie, you know, that's a major theme is that Swan has cameras everywhere and he's constantly yeah. catching everything on tape and and he can catch your your soul on tape. And, and yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Is that that's very prominent later on. Even though it's like it's it's raw to Palma, I feel, but also it's a very atypical film for De Palma. Mm-hmm. It's almost like too culty for a De Palma, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 strange to see this from from someone who would go on to make something like The Untouchables. Yeah, and and work very well within the studio system for a while. Yeah, or even Blowout. To, to, yeah, yeah. To see a movie like this is just like I'm gonna do whatever I want. I don't <laughs> care what anyone thinks of it. We got we got we got a dude in a bird mask running around singing love songs and it's going to be like crazy hyper cutting speed but then when anytime anyone sings a song we're gonna we're gonna stop and we're gonna let the whole song play out <laughs> yeah the whole song it, it's just it's very it's very different for him to work it out i let them in all the good guys and the bad guys that i've been all the devils that disturbed me and the angels that defeated them somehow come together in me now. tasty winslow tasty okay onset life few things 
the one big story. So in the record pressing scene, as we were talking about, William Finley, who plays uh, Winslow Leach, almost did have his face crushed by the record press. Ooh. Uh, apparently they fitted the press with foam molds and like chocks that would stop the press before it touched Finley's face. Uh, but apparently the press was too powerful for those chocks and it like crushed him. And Finley had to like move his head out just in time before it like went together. And so like the scream you hear in the movie is apparently his actual scream of almost getting his face like smashed. Um, so there's that film was shot in three different locations, like three different cities. Can you guess what three cities? Oh, um, I mean, New York. New York is like his exteriors. Uh, I don't know. Detroit, not Detroit, Chicago, not Chicago. Uh, one, uh, I mean one, one's LA. They oh, shot okay. some yeah, stuff yeah. At, at MGM lot. The, where the, all the theater scenes were shot, at least like the, the stage scenes, but the theater scenes, Dallas, Texas. Oh, weird. Yeah. On the set as a set dresser, Sissy Spacek, her hmm. boyfriend at the time, Jack Fisk, who was the production designer of the film, hired her. She also auditioned for uh, Phoenix, but did not get it. And then her but, next thing was Carrie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he obviously kept her in mind. Yeah. He kept her in mind. I mean, we talked about this with Cameron a little bit too. It's like just the idea of like sticking with people early on and like loyal to those people. And De Palma, I mean, when you look, it's interesting to look at those set, like again, those film brats of how. I won't say later on, but early on, they were all very loyal to like the people they came up with. Mm-hmm. Even like William Finley, for example, with Winslow Leach was like, he went to college with Brian De Palma, like, and made all of his early films together. So like, there was this like loyalty within that group of like the reusing of people from film to film and from director to director. Okay. Aftermath of the film. Do you think this movie was a success? Uh, I'm going to guess No. <laughs> Yeah, the film was a box office flop, only grossing $250,000 in its first two months on a $1.3 million budget. But the film was a big hit in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, (laughs) where it ran continuously for four months and non-consecutively until 1976, but has been shown periodically in Winnipeg ever since then. I love that. I love the the idea of like a like a cult film having like a very specific geographic location. <laughs> yeah. That's that's so much fun. The film soundtrack sold twenty thousand copies in Winnipeg alone. Is what it was. At that point. <laughs> I mean that you know is that not especially in the in the time before home video, like that's I guess that's how cult yeah. works. Like because so much of cult film is is knowing you know having a group that knows it like like a cult film isn't a cult film if you love it and no one else watches it like i'm sorry that's a movie that you love but it's not cult yeah. but yeah but you know like like the, you hear so much so much became cult in like the 80s and 90s when you started getting vhs introduced and you yeah. could pass it around and and you know even stuff like like south park which started in la and it was just one vhs tape that was getting passed around la that's that's still you know this kind of cult physical media but your your circle is so wide but yeah it's 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 wild to me that it could blow up in this town where everyone is obviously going and being like hey man did you see this movie and we got to go and and i love the idea of whoever owned the theater in town being like all right i guess i'm just gonna keep showing it people keep showing up for it 
that's the thing I give credit for at that point of just like whoever's programming theaters. I mean, that's how Rocky Horror, I think, became so big is that people like it didn't do well in theatrical release, but when they put it at a midnight movie, someone made the decision, hey, what if that we put this as a midnight movie? And that's how like the cult of that started. Mm-hmm. Or it's the again, it's a, a, a lot of times with cult films, it's the idea of like the access to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like if there's not a lot of access at the beginning of its run because of that that makes it like a it's a journey but it's also like you have to put effort to find it if that mm-hmm. makes sense like that yeah. was thing like I, this happened with mandy with uh a few years ago where like that was one of the few films in, in like in my lifetime where i saw it become instant cult film first weekend because it was the idea of that, like, uh, like when it was in LA, it played at like one theater uh, in Santa Monica, and it was in the smallest like screen they had, and every showing sold out. But mm-hmm. they wanted to focus on BOD, they didn't focus on in theater experience, which was like, kind of stupid because the movie is very much an in theater experience. So, like, it sold out every screen. They moved to the big screen there, and it sold out every screen at that point. It only ran for a week sold out every screening and then it was pulled and that's like damn i gotta go see mandy when's it coming so it's the idea of like keeping it like finding out when it's showing back up it showed back at arc like hollywood for like two weeks and only played like at night for like once or twice each night and like it became the thing where i have to get the ticket to see mandy mm-hmm. and that's why i think happened was that the access of family a family paradise it probably like just ran for two months at max in most cities well, it was ran it was for like fox a week or right two. fox uh, fox released it let me see i mean it was a it was a studio release was, so i'm yeah, sure they, they weren't fox, pre- yeah they weren't really prepared i mean still shout out to the the studios in the 70s for having the balls to bankroll a lot of these like crazy all tour films yeah but i'm sure they, they still weren't prepared for like how to release it in in a a way that would you know show it at a midnight yeah. movie you know pick yeah. these like cities where you know that you've got this kind of counterculture going yeah that's another thing too you, you'll hear is, is that uh like some movies do better in certain cities like that's i will say when i was like kind of helping program for like uh the move like we sent a file video in la that i helped kind of program for at their next door just finding out oh this movie Three Amigos plays really well in Houston, Texas <laughs> or something like random like that. Or like this movie doesn't play well outside of New York. Um, and it's like, it, it's like you really have to like see like where the market is for this specific film. And for fan of paradise, it was Winnipeg, Mont- Manitoba, Canada, apparently in 1974. I love that. Shout out Winnipeg. Don't go changing. It apparently opened. If, if you're, if you're a listener in Winnipeg, <laughs> write us and let us know what your relationship with phantom of the paradise is yeah i, I know i'm we, really I, curious i know we have some canadian listeners so yeah open on boxing day in 1974 uh, uh let's see the nominated this was nominated for an, uh, an oscar by the way best original song score or adaptation so it was like this is the it lost the great gatsby oh yeah that great gatsby has that song yeah i know i know which one uh what if i told you this movie had multiple lawsuits <laughs> regarding what <laughs> the two smaller ones there's one big one i did, i heard there was four but these are the three i found a uh, lawsuit regarding the estate of fan of the opera and a lawsuit regarding the marvel comic series the phantom oh 
Uh, I feel like the Phantom of the Opera should be suing the Marvel Comics uh, series, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess Phantom of the Opera wasn't, it really wasn't a uh, public domain at that point. I guess not. Like I, that's what yeah, I, I, I mean, I that's the thing is they a lot of those stories that he bor- borrowed from are very much you know public domain at that point. But um, I, I don't know that it's a Phantom of the Opera. No, I think the Faust, even though it's called Phantom of the Paradise, I think the the Faust storyline is more heavily yeah. used than the Phantom. Like the 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 Phoenix kind of storyline is is sidelined by the Faust yeah, storyline. She's not in it as much as I, I as I remember the first time I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's I think she's great in this. Jessica Harper's great in the scenes she has. The big lawsuit uh, after filming was done, Led Zeppelin sued the film's producers for for Swan for using Swan imagery. Swan Swan's initial record label was called Swan Song Enterprises. That's a great and name for your record label if your name is Swan. And Swan Song was the name of Zeppelin's record label. So the producers, you can actually go back and watch it in certain scenes. Producers and the editing, because Paul Hirsch talked about it in his book, uh, they had to go in and cover all the swan song images in the actual movie. So if you go in and call it death records, but they had to do that all in post. They couldn't really do that in because they already finished shooting. So if you go and watch certain scenes, you will see like superimposed images over swan song enterprises and occasionally if it's like the scene when when he's running when winslow's running in and out of the records uh uh swan's office or whatever Mm. you can actually kind of see swan song enterprises in certain shots Mm. all right what worked about this movie um the music i thought the music was was great all of it even the stuff that's like played for laughs is still like incredibly well done like the the juicy fruits stuff and the what what they call them beach bums or something beach bums yeah yeah it's still really well done and really accurate to what that type of music would would sound like but uh but yeah especially the phantoms theme that's a it's a gorgeous song yeah uh and william finley is fantastic he is he's he's big and awkward if you know as as leech but then once he becomes the phantom he's terrifying like yeah. that's everything you want out of your out of your lead for that for that role i love the cinematography the production design of the movie i think is amazing uh swans like his his i guess I don't, his office but his viewing area when he's watching mm-hmm. the tapes like the red walls and like oh the, yeah the overhead lighting yeah that that kind of that reverse kind of reaction shot on winslow when he's watching the tape and the like yeah. fish eye is so yeah. jarring but it's yeah that it's i mean it's a really simple shot but it's because yeah. of the makeup and the costume design and the room design it's it's really striking yeah everything's just huge and mm-hmm. just and 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 um exaggerated i would never hurt you phoenix you know me i'm winslow Winslow's dead. No, not quite. What do you mean? Who are you? Why do you wear that mask? Because Swan's taken my voice, my music, and given me this. And now he wants you. What's all I have left? Phoenix. 
next no one will sing in this paradise again no one's ever gonna sing my faust again no one but you phoenix leave this place or i'll destroy you too you're crazy why should i go with you don't you hear them down there why should i give that up they want more now they want much more they want more than you could ever give i'll give them whatever they want no phoenix get your hands off me did anything not work about this movie you know, it's it's interesting because I'm sure the the lawsuit factored into a lot of this, but I thought some of some of the dubs weren't great. There's some very obviously very obvious like dub moments, and not even with the with the singing, but uh, mm-hmm. just some of the some of the scenes. I was like, they are not having that conversation right now. But learning about the lawsuit, I'm sure factored. I'm sure they had to go in and Could dub a lot of that. Yeah, uh, to to have that work out. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, that's that's the thing about a cult movie is it's it's made up. It's made up of its flaws. Like, so it's, yeah. it's hard to, to go in and say, like, this didn't work when that is part of what makes it this, like, really interesting cult piece. Yeah. Uh, is that, you know, sometimes the editing is kind of wonky. Sometimes it's brilliant. Yeah. Other times it's it's a little strange. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, the very flaws, like we were talking about him just kind of hopping in a box and then falling off a trunk in a truck in new york like it's hard to tell whether that was like a shortcut because de palma didn't know how to get him back to new york <laughs> or if it was play, it was supposed to be played like a joke but either way it's funny yeah, yeah. now so you can't really yeah. critique that yeah exactly all right alternate universe cast what what role was was de niro supposed to have in this all right he already was- had he already was, gone over to the Scorsese yeah, camp he, at this point? He, he already left. I mean, he, I, he, I don't see him making this post Main Streets. I just, I just don't. <laughs> who would you, who would you put him in? If, if, if De Niro was in this movie, who would you put him as? Oh, uh, I uh, definitely not. Uh, maybe, maybe Beef. Maybe Beef. <laughs> or, or may, no, I, may, is, is he like Swan's like second in command? Is that is he yeah, that guy? Yeah, he could, he, yeah. yeah, he could play that role. Oh, I like, that. I like the guy that did that. I the like movie. the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, George he's a... Mamoli. Yeah. Um. Okay. Winslow Leach was originally written for William Finley, but for some reason, I don't know if it was studios or De Palm or whatever, Paul Williams was initially cast as Winslow Leach and the Phantom. And Garrett Graham, who plays Beef, was going to play Swan. Hmm. And Finley was not going to be in the movie at all. And then Williams decided that he was not menacing enough to play the Phantom is why he didn't want to play it. And that's why the roles were switched around and Finley got back involved in the project as the Phantom. Nice. Uh, that all worked out for the best. It all worked out. But then, I mean, Williams ended up doing the voice of the Phantom, the singing voice anyway. So it ended up like he did play both. When Williams was to play the Phantom, they're going to have Peter Boyle play Beef. Some, someone who who has played Frankenstein. I was going to say yeah. De Niro could play Beef because he's played Frankenstein. But so that's has true. Peter Boyle. Yeah. It is kind of yeah, it's kind of this Frankenstein character. Another thing too, again, like the Rocky Horror aspect, like it's it's it feels like the way like beef is created on stage, uh, in Fan of the Paradise is the way like uh Rocky is is created in Rocky Horror Picture Show or Rocky Horror. Uh, John Voight was considered for Swan at one point. <laughs> I just I'm sorry, I just can't I can't see like. <laughs> Republican 2020 John Voight participating in this movie in any way whatsoever. Yeah, I know it's it's difficult. I was like, really, John Voight? I don't know how true that is, but that was that was what I read. Uh, This is true. Brian De Palma initially said that he wanted like different bands to play all the bands in the movie, and he wanted the Rolling Stones or the Who. 
but they were too expensive. Yeah, I can imagine. I like I like having the same guys all the way through. It shows, you yeah. know, kind of how shallow the record industry is that they can just kind of take these three kind of plain guys and make and them whatever they them. want. Yeah, just yeah. repackage them and like, oh, cool. They're now the undead, like progressive glam rock people. Uh, Jessica Harper uh, beat out Linda Ronstadt for the role of Phoenix. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, film facts. There was a novelization released in 1975 that was based on the early script. So the book had zero references to the devil or any supernatural elements. I want to know what that book would be like without yeah. any of that. Swan, Swan's just a bad guy. He's just a cutthroat producer. I think I, I, think I read that. He just, it just it reads like fanfic is what they said. <laughs> the Phantom of the Paradise was a big influence on Daft Punk. The musicians hmm. said the film, they, they saw the film together numerous times when they were growing up. And they said it was the foundation for a lot of what they're about artistically. And even their aesthetic of like the helmet and like they're wearing like a very like mostly black outfit like the Phantom. Mm -hmm. Phantom Palooza, a fan organized event ran for two years, 2005-2006, where it was a reunion of many of the surviving cast members and crew. Can you guess where it was? Uh, Winnipeg. It was Winnipeg, Man Manitoba, Canada. Good for you, Winnipeg. <laughs> keep the keep the cult alive. Yeah. Um, and then the movie ended up being a big influence on Edgar Wright and Guillermo del Toro. That's what it was. Del Toro Ooh. actually does a, I think it was the Arrow release because I have it, like an hour, hour and 12 minute interview with Paul Williams. Uh, I think you can view it on YouTube now, but they talk about Fan of Paradise, but also a lot of Paul Williams' career. Um, do you have any story questions? Because I, I really don't. I guess you asked it with like, why does he want Winslow's music? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough to. There's a lot of questions in this movie, but it's not. It's not a movie that you feel like you need to grasp everything. Yeah. Um, it just kind of all comes and goes. Here's a question, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'll say it, it didn't work, but uh, Phoenix makes a big jump from she does like from like wide-eyed like i want to be a like i want to be a, a legit singer to i'll do whatever you want to be a star yeah like, but i, I think we, we are cocaine. supposed to like believe that yeah. he's he's drugging her up like yes. he's doing with with uh you know he's literally just feeding winslow drugs whenever he asks for food that's that's uh, true and, yeah. and she she does appear to be like very heavily drugged yeah once once swan like gets his eyes on her Oh yeah, she's um, definitely snorting cocaine in the limo before their like wedding scene, like wedding yeah. event or whatever. Like she's like very like out of it, but she isn't out of it though. When like he comes to her like in the the dressing room and she's like, "I'll do whatever you want," type yeah thing. The power of the devil, man. Yeah, and fame. Yeah, it's it's the it's the horror version of a Star Is Born. It's what it is. Phoenix. Is beef dead? Oh, but let's not talk about that. Let's uh, let's talk about you. I like your name. We won't have to change it. You're going to be a very big star, Phoenix. We'll finish the cantata tomorrow night. We'll we'll record. We'll go on tour, and then well, there are no words to express what you're going to become. I'll do anything you want. I owe you everything. Just give me that crowd again. Tomorrow night. 
tomorrow night they'll be yours. And all I want is your voice. Is that all? No. We'll go to Swan Engine celebrate. I'll wait for you in the car. Awards. Uh, the Beatrice Strait Award for Actor, Actress with Limited Scenes that Kills It. I'd probably go, I'd probably go Beef. Garrett, okay. what's his name? Uh, Garrett. Yeah, uh, Garrett Graham. Yeah, he's really, for for as, as little as he's actually in it, he leaves a huge impression on the movie. Yeah, yeah I was wondering, like, was he in too much? But he's not really in a lot. Like, I mean, he's... He's got, like, four scenes. Yeah, he's... he's it's it, and, and not all of them are big scenes is the thing. Like, it's the... He gets discovered where it's, like, the round table, like, mm-hmm. thing. Uh, his first song... His intro or his intro, his rehearsal, uh, the shower scene—I'll count it. It's 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 on the borderline of like supporting and small performance, but I'll count it. I'll go with Beef Tooth because that's the only one I really have. Let's go with Rod Serling. That's all. I mean, that's I don't know what else <laughs> to do. yeah. He is like I mean, on his character, it's just so like I don't know what he's like playing. If that makes sense, like, mm-hmm. I mean, because I, I, he's like, he has like a weird, like, stereotypical, like, like, I, I would almost say like gay, like, accent, what he's doing at one point. Fem- like, like yeah, vernacular. I think that kind of the joke very is effeminate, that, yeah. I think the, the joke that they're going for and they just lean into it like crazy heavy is that all these guys kind of like, I think that, you know, and it's, it's, it's a little pre kiss, but like, you know, these, yeah. these, these like heavy metal, like Alice Cooper types can get on stage and act all like like scary and and macho and monstrous and then and then be very effeminate divas off the stage where it's just like when he's like leaving i'm not playing like there's a there's a there's a there's a phantom here guys like he's just like very (laughs) like very like i don't i don't want to be here he he reminds me of it's 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 weird it's a weird connection but his character reminded me so much of the guy that plays hitler and the producers that so okay i was literally <laughs> about to just say that i was like now nah, we'll go there that would sound too weird okay i'm glad you and i are on the same page on that because when you when i when i thought about his voice when he's like trying to quite like do the like change the lyrics i was like oh that sounds like the guy that plays hitler and the original producers now i think about it there ain't gonna be no show what listen philbin there really is a phantom. He was just in my shower. He threatened my life. He said his music is just for Phoenix. Only she can sing it. Anyone else who tries, dies. What the hell are you talking about? Look, Philbin, I am a professional. I have been in this business a long time. Now, if I don't want to do a show, it's not because I got stage fright. It's because some creature from beyond doesn't want me to do the show, not gangway. Annie Potts X Factor Award for Supporting Actor and Actress that is the most memorable. I mean, I think with Phoenix, I think that's Yeah, that's my vote. That's my vote. I think that's who no, I think I think that's the only person. What William Finlay doesn't really count as supporting actor. But yeah, uh, yeah she's 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 really she's really great in her performances. Uh, yeah. And I will never get the little dance that she does when she's coming down the aisle for her wedding. I will never get out of my head. It's like she looks like, like a chicken dance. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the, like I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> and she does it also in her first song as well. 
<laughs> like a little but not as not like, like she's like, she's either rowing a boat or flapping her wings but it's it's amazing <laughs> it's just so and then doing spins with it oh man <laughs> if you guys could see me now on 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 our on our call just doing this dance no she's great uh she she uh she was a good, she's a good actress. I didn't see it yet, but she's in. I guess the new Suspiria is what it is. I don't oh, really? Yeah, her, I haven't I seen the remake her, either. Her part is, uh, but yeah, she's great in um, Suspiria, the original Suspiria as well. Um, yeah, I, Jessica Harper again. The special of me scene. I again, I wit, and, and, and I like her moment with uh, with Winslow. We talk about this. I, I mean. Give this, give this actress that Beatrice Strait award. It's the actress when she's just like, "How come if you're the songwriter, why aren't you in there with Swan auditioning us right now?" <laughs> like I, li- I like that kind of little moment with, but with him and, um, with him and Phoenix when she's like, when he's like go- coaching her through the song. Yeah, and you can tell like it's it, the way they they play the scene, in terms of like sound design because the sound design is really good in this film. Uh, in certain moments where. You're hearing everyone else's like terrible rendition of his song in the audition hall, and you're hearing like, like screeching or just like very like off off pitch and off key, and then you hear her and she's doing she's like singing it like the cantata, like a more mm-hmm. like classical way, and that's when he's just like, oh, this one's perfect. She's perfect for this. And I can't weep Old emotions Where'd you get that song? Oh, I got it from Philbin to audition with. Sing it again. Why? Go ahead, sing it. All my dreams are lost And I can't sleep Sleep alone could ease my mind All my tears have dried And I can't weep Old emotions may they rest in peace and dream <laughs> That's incredible. How did you know it went like that? If you wrote this stuff, then why aren't you in there with Swan auditioning the singers? I don't know. There must be some mix-up. Oh, sure. They must not know who you are. Your name's not on the music. Well, that's funny. Swan heard me sing that song. The Gene Hackman MVP award, person who carries the movie, who do you have? I gotta give it it Paul Williams. That's my vote, too. Between playing the villain and writing all the music and performing the music. There's a big debate for De Palma here, but... I think if you don't have Paul Williams in this movie and like you said, doing this, doing the music for this movie, I don't know if it's as memorable. Yeah. He's got such a great grasp. Like I said earlier, he's got such a great grasp, not only on like what's supposed to be the good music, like the cantata is, is so good, but he's also got such a great grasp on all the different types. Like it's very obvious that De Palma came to him and said, like, I want to parody these types of music. Yeah, but then it was Williams who was able to like make these things sound like a song you might actually hear on the radio, which ups yeah. the parody a little bit more. You know, yeah. if it was if it was just like a bad Beach Boys song, 
it wouldn't be as funny as if you're listening yeah. to it and you're like, wow, the Beach Boys could have actually done that song. Yeah. That that kind of ups the comedy. A few letterbox reviews said, like, I don't know if that was intentional for them to like have songs that sound so much of its time. And I was like, it mm-hmm. was definitely intentional. Like that was definitely a yeah, thing. Yeah, that, that, like, the the whole opening doo-wop sequence is is amazing. And it's over the, the performance is over the top, but the song itself feels very accurate. And yeah, I I think his songwriting is great in this. And also to, he has really great like range in this movie yeah the 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 scene where he's back and forth is kind of like the more innocent version of himself yeah. and then himself playing the devil it, he's yeah. great in both roles when he's just like oh i'm going to kill myself because i don't want to age is like basically what he's wanting to do <laughs> it's like i uh, i don't want this this uh this beautiful face to be ruined by time so I'm going to kill myself now. So I'll always be known as this young, talented, uh, legend uh, uh, musician or whatever he was. I don't, I don't know if he was a musician beforehand or was he just a producer beforehand? I can't remember. I don't know if it says. Yeah, I don't think they say. Either. But it's like it was like in the 50s is, is what uh, 54 when it like that that video is played. Yeah. And the, but even the scene like when he's like watching the tapes is very just like a very different thing and then his kind of scene that i also kind of love is when when winslow attacks him kind of at the first time mm-hmm. when he's just like winslow i've been looking for you like yeah i didn't just like try to like kill you or put you in jail oh my boy it's very like and then it goes around it's it's him like uh, then uh setting him up and kind of the 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 acting and the scene when he's like seducing jessica harper i guess you could say and then and, and and Winslow's watching from above. But yeah, I, he, he to me is the the MVP of the movie. Why, Winslow? Good to see you. Been looking for you everywhere. Killing me won't help you. My God, you're horrible. Don't rush off. Look at yourself. Look at yourself. It's a horrible sound you're making. Can't you talk? Look around you, Winslow. You've destroyed your face, your voice. Now you're trying to destroy the paradise. Haven't we all had enough? I can give you the power to create again. I can make you somebody. We're going to have to start all over again, Winslow. Only this time, working together instead of against each other time for your sound is now people are going to want to hear your music i mean what i say tomorrow i'll put a whole new group together who'll do your songs your way you don't have to believe me come to the auditions and see for yourself trust me all right final questions if this film was remade today who do you cast Ooh, ooh, that is that is tough <laughs> i was gonna say this is not a, when you're talking about alternate universe cast um uh, uh, William Finley in in his pre Phantom period is mm-hmm. giving me major major Donald Sutherland vibes. At that point, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Oh I, man, I got I got someone for Winslow. I don't know if he's right now. Uh, Paul Dano. Oh yeah, absolutely. I yeah, see. I could see, I could Dano see Paul, for sure. I could see Dano glasses at least in the beginning part, but like before Phantom, but like playing the like kind of nerdy like. Uh, uh, but also like, cause the thing about Winslow is that he's, he's nerdy and like, and like, just like, Oh, as a, as a kind of a loser is what you kind of view him as like of how he acts. But he's also like, kind of like 
cocky in a way because he knows he he does like good music mm-hmm. but he's, he's very like i'm an artist type thing yeah he's very full of himself i guess is the what i'm searching for yeah. and paul dano could play both those very very well and then could yeah. probably and then could play the menacing uh uh menacing version with phantom well we'll see we'll see when the batman with comes Riddler, out. yeah we'll see with riddler come when he's riddler okay okay i'll got i'll give you a swan Okay. Um, I'm thinking of someone who's a little bit smaller, um, who's got a, he's got a music past. He's great at playing the kind of like manipulative, manipulative kind of person. And he's also got some ties to the film brat generation. Jason Schwartzman. Ooh, J- that mean it's, I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, I love, he's, he's had a couple of roles where he's kind of that like fast talking, like sleazy Hollywood type. And I mean, even, even like, his character in Rushmore kind of like wanted yeah. to be that kind of character, but the one who just like, you know, you just picture him like putting his arm around someone and he's like, listen, listen, you're going to be huge. Let me, let me tell you what you got to do. Like that. I think he can definitely do that that's, energy. I mean, that's him and funny people when he's just like, Oh, oh I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. You weren't on the show. Okay. <laughs> Wait, or it was like, uh, uh, Hey, teach. Is that, is that, is that yeah. what it is? Hey, teach. Yep. Hey, teach. With Bo Burnham. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Cooking on Hey, teach. Um, yeah, and, and he does that a little bit menacing. I don't say it's menacing, but he does that more like villain role. I know you're not a huge fan, but in Scott Pilgrim yeah, versus yeah, the world. Scott Pilgrim, yeah, yeah. No, he plays yeah, that role he does well. It, yeah, he does, it play, he does play it well. I had see Schwartzman. Uh, what about uh, Phoenix? Phoenix. Um, I'm trying to think of someone who's like a record. I think it would be solid stunt casting to get someone who's like a recording artist um, in this role. And could do the chicken dance. They could do the chicken dance, yes. That's well. I don't know. I don't. Someone like uh, I think Zendaya would be would be great in this. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Someone, someone like I. Th- I think that's a great role to stunt cast. Someone who's can really sing and give them a couple of really great musical numbers. I know you've mentioned Ariana Grande before on the show for League of Their Own. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I think I think I her yeah. reputation as kind of a more diva type character might. Yeah. Might precede her to play Phoenix. Actually, give me Ariana Grande as Swan. <laughs> <laughs> Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld actually might be the best pick. I actually like that pick a lot. Yeah. So we, we got we got Paul Dano, uh, Jason Schwartzman, and Haley Steinfeld. Who's beef? That's the last one we'll do. Who's beef? Oh, uh, I knew you're, I knew you were gonna ask me for a beef. <laughs> I have no clue. Jared Leto. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really I've got nothing on beef. I I don't I don't know I don't think you play beef the same way in 2020. Um That's true. Maybe maybe like Ariana Grande is like a beef like bring in somebody. May- yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I think beef is the character you stunt cast and you play off of their existing persona yeah, a little bit. That. Maybe bring in someone like Ariana Grande and have them be like very timid and and like kind of strange out of character and again i mean you're you're taking the whole like in like a star is born with lady gaga where you're like you're turning the the pure artistry of her with shallow into the hair body face or whatever it is like the the song she's singing towards the end where it's a very poppy like oh yeah the one about like why'd you do oh what's the song that that she sings on snl about how are you gonna come around here with a butt like that I know that's not the words, but it's something like that. Yeah, I think it's Wide Jet to me, that one. Yeah, that's the one from when, that she sings on SNL that like yeah. is his breaking point where he's just like, this isn't music. <laughs> Let me go drink some bourbon. 
yeah i i that's it, you can have that like poppy like turning to like the ballad that winslow writes into this very like poppy like radio like it's weird how like music music industry has changed since then but also hasn't changed since then like mm-hmm. i heard the De- palma talk about like once you sign like the record contract you're owned by the 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 label and you can't really do your pure artistry and that's weirdly a debate we're that's still having now like you're you're seeing people like chance the rapper and certain artists who are like choosing not to sign with record labels because they believe they lose um they lose control over their art they also they lose the masters they can lose the uh the way it's promoted they can kind of lose a lot of stuff with when they sign that label or they're they're tied down for years and they don't want to be tied down for that long i mean Mm -hmm. it's still very still very relevant um does this film fit with any other genres besides horror comedy yeah i mean i think i think like rock opera is a genre of its own which is why even though this isn't technically a rock opera Uh it it feels like one like i said it feels a lot like tommy it's got very similar energy so um so yeah Yeah. i I would oddly even though it's not like fully sung and i mean rocky horror isn't fully sung either but uh but yeah i do think it it fits within that very specific like 70s rock opera genre added question rocky horror fan of paradise thomas i don't know i i I do love (laughs) i I have to listen to the music a little bit more i love rocky horror but not not in like the the culty way like it's i enjoy watching it i like the songs i love yeah i love tim curry i think he's incredible in that movie tim Um, yeah every once in a while i like to see it it's not a movie i would want to watch every weekend like some people do um i think that the different the big difference is i feel like I prefer Phantom of the Paradise, but I think Rocky Horror has the best performance because of Tim Curry. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, Phantom like, definitely has a better story. You you sent me, we watched a video in prepping for this where um, Edgar Wright is talking about it and he says yeah. that, yeah, I totally agree. I'd never thought of it in this way, but he says Rocky Horror's got a great first half and completely falls apart in the second half. I've does. seen that movie 20 times i could not tell you what happens in the last half of that movie like it's yeah. just it, and then it's just like oh it's a spaceship in the end like it, it's obviously <laughs> they're just like oh, we're done we're done with this yeah, movie yeah. it's over um it's like so yeah perp- it's definitely yeah. a more compelling plot in, in yeah, Phantom for sure i do think as a musical rocky's got the legs up just that it has more more music and so there's yeah. more songs to get stuck in your head and I, and I think too i would say the music is more integral to the plot in rocky horror picture show yeah this this, this is more of a performance yeah, there, it's there are pro- some there are some moments of like non-diegetic music. Yeah, not not non-diegetic, but like musical music where mm-hmm. it's not being performed in real life. It's in his head um, or something. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but a lot of it is just kind of performances. Yeah, yeah. So and I think so. Rocky, I think has a leg up in terms of like how because it was originally a musical on stage before it was mm-hmm. a movie. So that's why it kind of has that. But yeah, I think and it turns into Rocky Horror Picture Show podcast. But yeah, it, like Tim Curry, I think is great. And maybe it's because I think he's, I haven't seen it in a while all the way through. Maybe I think it's better because there's been such a cult around Tim Curry in that movie. Um, But yeah, I would go Phantom uh, over Rocky. I I would love, I would love to, to see this one in a, like in a setting of Rocky. I think it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Let's go to Winnipeg. Let's go to Winnipeg after COVID's over, over. I mean, I'd say right now in LA, usually anytime I see Phantom play somewhere, it sells out. A lot of the times it, it sells out like pretty quickly. And I think it's made because Rocky, 
has the mainstream appeal where they'll go every week mm-hmm. when phantom is kind of like a oh let's do this every like once a year type deal yeah and like make it a big show um how does this film fit within the comedy the horror comedy genre uh, I think it's yeah, I think it's a great example. Um, it's it's got so many of these influences mm-hmm. from things that came before it from like we said, from the gothic literature all the way through to Hitchcock influences. Yeah, it's got some truly frightening uh, imagery in it, yeah. especially kind of the character design. Um, yeah. the, 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 the phantom himself sticks with you for sure. Yeah, uh, but it's a lot of fun and, and it plays with it plays with the things that you know that have come before it everything from kind of the the german expressionism of the set design to the psycho shower scene it's constantly building these references and and turning them into jokes which is you know what we've what we've talked about i think what the horror comedy more so than any other like type of of parody or satire is is so much just like very respectful loving references yeah well it's like a psycho thing you bring up that happens where like he has a knife and you see him tear the shower curtain and you're thinking oh like psycho he's gonna kill beef in the shower and then all of a sudden sudden a plunger comes out of nowhere (laughs) and hits him right in the face so like it definitely it has that whole like again takes the suspense aspect of it like the setup of a joke and then has the skate has the release of the uh, of the anticipation and it ends up being a joke, um, and it does that very well. Um, I was asked this last, and because this has been a debate that's been happening in some people that I watch movies with, do you think horror has to be scary? What do you mean? Well, like, I I will watch we'll watch like a horror movie, and they're like, it was good, but it wasn't scary. And I was like, I I, I don't know what people were expecting sometimes when they watch like say an old horror film i'm trying to like the changeling for example when we watch yeah. this is like I, and 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 so that's why i think horror is a weird place to like they go i don't get why someone lists this as a horror film or why it's a scary film and i think no i i, I don't think so because you know people watch halloween every year like you're not mm-hmm. if you get to the point where you know every beat of halloween it's not yeah. scary anymore yeah, yeah. um yeah, no, I, I don't think it has to scare you. Um, there, there's so that's the th- and that's the thing about horror is there's so many different, ef- different effects it can have on you. You know, for there's, and that's something I don't want to go too deep into this because we're towards the end of the episode. But in the, the backlash towards kind of the the horror surge, especially the indie horror surge in the last couple of years, is is people coming out and being like, "The witch isn't scary." Yeah. And I'm like, that's not what it's trying to do. Some a, a yeah. movie I really loved was um uh, and I can't. I just said I really loved it. I can't think of the exact. They they come at night, wasn't that? Yeah, yeah. It they comes come at, at night. night. It comes. It at comes night. at night. Yeah, I really really enjoyed that movie, and it was so many people were like, when that movie came out, there was a very vehement like, this movie is not scary. Yeah. Why would you market it as a scary reaction to it? But you know, it, horror is is a genre much like sci-fi. It's a genre that you can work within to say similar things that you would in a drama, but in a way that that feels different. Yeah. Um. You know, you can make a drama. You can make a Star Is Born about the perils of the recording industry, or you can make Phantom of the Paradise and say the same things yeah. in a much different way. So yeah, I don't I don't think it needs to be scary. I I the the movie I watched last night filled me with dread. Yeah. 
uh, but it never had a jump scare in it. I yeah. never came out of my seat. Uh, so there, there's so there's so many different types of of horror, and and to just to have your metric just be scary is yeah. is a not a great way to approach it. I and think. I, I think some people think like scary like that means I have to like jump. Or you have to have a jump scare for it to be scary. When like it can just be haunting and atmospheric, and like there are images that I images from horror films that I feel are more terrifying to me even though they aren't a jump scare mm. uh but they just like it's like you said it has it gives you this sense of dread so it doesn't have to be like it doesn't have to be gory or bloody so people always think scary has to be bloody and gory and that's not there, there's like different facets to horror it doesn't mm. have to just be this like jump scare that turns into like a bloody killing it doesn't have to be that way i i it wasn't planned to bring that up but it was it's been very relevant in terms of like some of our friends starting to watch movies in October and I've kind of heard some like, Oh, that wasn't really that scary. I'm like, well, like, what do you mean? It's, I guess it's, it's, it's it's, you know, it's all, it's all subjective. Like you could take a movie that's terrifying if you were to watch it by yourself at night. And if you were to watch it at 3 PM with the, with the windows open with a group of people, it's, it's going to have a completely different effect on you. Yeah, no, I agree. Sorry. We'll end it with that. (laughs) <laughs> uh i just want to ask that because we're getting towards october guys and more to come we're, we're, we're going to keep talking 1st. about horror movies yeah so so tell us what you guys are watching during october tweet at us comment on our stuff i don't know uh but make sure you subscribe to our podcast on our podcast spotify stitcher or wherever your podcast please give us a rating and review we like to hear from you guys and those ratings and reviews kind of help generate traffic with the podcast so if you haven't done that I, we would really appreciate it if you would. Make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow us on Medium and see what we're writing over on there. Yeah, it's going to be a fun month for October for horror comedies, Thomas. Now I'm excited. As always, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.